0: in non-essentials liberty in all things charity now here's dean
1: thank you rachel and thank you everyone for joining us again for this edition of our podcast in the epc again we hope that uh, this will be a benefit and a blessing to you as we interview and have conversations with people uh, right now who are in leadership of the EPC. We hope to expand those conversations to people across the denomination as time goes on. But we wanted to start the podcast with you getting to know people like Jerry I. Muri, our assistant stated clerk, and uh, Gabriel DeGia, our director of world outreach, and um, Zach Hopkins, who's the chair of our theology committee. And uh, some of these conversations are designed to help you learn more about the EPC with the design of, of how the EPC is of value to your congregation and to you personally, and the person we have in the studio with us today is a great example of a gift to the church that we've not had before and can be and is already becoming a huge blessing across a number of the different things that we do in the EPC but I do want to encourage you to uh, invite your friends to, to listen in, share this on social media. Hopefully, our audience will continue to grow over time and we can uh, broaden out some of the topics that will be a greater blessing to the larger church. We're looking at EPC authors in the future. We're looking at churches that are doing uh, innovative things, or we're looking at uh, some tried and true standard things that we ought to be remembering and reclaiming. And, you know, whether it's talking about recapturing a reformed sense of, of worship and what that looks like or whether it's looking at leadership issues inside the church, perhaps training elders or in terms of just general leadership principles. There's a lot of things we hope to cover in the days and weeks to come, but our intention is once a week we're going to be dropping a podcast that we hope will be a blessing to our EPC family and that our family will be blessed by that and become a blessing to others by sharing it more broadly and hopefully the Lord will. We'll be in that and we'll be able to be an encouragement to the church as we go along. So, today our special guest is uh, Michael Davis, and Michael is a teaching elder. That's what we call it in the EPC a pastor. Um, and he has been at Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis and then was most recently the teaching pastor for Downtown Church, Downtown EPC Church in Memphis. And Michael is now our chief collaborative officer. And we'll get into what that means in just a second because. Early on, I think that's probably the number one question that Michael gets is what in the world is a chief collaborative officer? So we're going to give you a chance to explain that. But before we do, Michael, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and uh, tell them about yourself, your family, where you grew up, how you came into the ministry, why you're not in the NFL, all that kind of good stuff. So give us a little bit of background about Michael Davis.
2: Well, glad to be with you all, and thank you for listening in this time, and thank you for having me, Dan. Uh, I'm Michael Davis from St. Louis, Missouri. My wife is Serena Davis. She is from Kansas City. And uh, we met at the University of Missouri. Uh, you know, I won her over with all of my my smooth talk and uh, stylish ways. That is not what she's told me. Oh, okay, it, you know, there are always multiples. The
1: way know, she put to it to me was that it was missionary. She no, had she no. you were a project she was working on, and <laughs> she had a lot of work to do. But she no, she got high investment no, in you, and now no, 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 it's Colin, not, it's not that's true. not it. It's not true. Not true. All, all right.
2: right, all right. right. No, uh, my wife is now pregnant with our third son and uh, she will have him at the end of this month. So pray her strength in the Lord. Uh, His name will be Titus. We have an 18 month old is Elijah. And then we have a seventh month old. I mean, seven year old, not seven month old, uh, Michael Davis, Jr., MJ for short. And we have enjoyed living in Memphis. Uh, We definitely have grown to love that city and to love the place um, and built a a good deal of community and love for the people that have been around us. And serving in the church and amongst God's people is something that uh, we've enjoyed as well. God made a funny way of me becoming a pastor primarily because I was just like some of the you who are listening, a faithful uh, member of the church. I didn't necessarily grow up in a church. Uh, I was sharing my story just the other day. I, I came to church through a Wednesday night Bible study. My mother wanted to start going randomly. And so we did. And uh, the Lord just captured my heart um, when I was a teenager at a youth retreat. And uh, I had never been the same since. And so, my zeal, though, had played itself out in various different ways uh, while I was going through high school all the way to college. I remember when I was playing Division Three football, I couldn't make it to the NFL because, you know, uh, they didn't want anybody as good as me. Is that uh, what it was? Yeah, yeah that's exactly what all it was. Right. Right. Exactly. But uh, I remember being in uh, school, and I wanted to read the Bible more after practice. Um, when I was reading was with my roommate, who was my best friend at the time. So 3.30 after practice on Fridays, we read the Bible. Somebody came in our room. Hey, what are y'all doing? Man, we're just reading the Bible. He joined us, one of my teammates, another one. And it just grew to about 20 people. And um, it was then when university said, hey, listen, it seems like you got a lot of people reading the Bible. Uh, you know, how, how about you y'all come lead some of our large groups? And so I joined it. Join them. But through that time, it was just affirmed, hey, you may be called to ministry. You thought about being a pastor, and it was far from my mind to be a pastor. I transferred to University of Missouri, and same thing happened. But when I started working in banking, I just had this nagging urge to want to know more about my faith, grow in it, uh, to understand God and what I believe. And so I went to Covenant Seminary, and uh, it was recommended to me, and I figured that I could be in St. Louis at my home church, serve there, teach Sunday school, clean the church, unlock the church. I did all of the, the basic things, counted the offering, uh, whatever, whatever the church needed to be done, I was doing it. I was the outreach and evangelism coordinator. And so through that time, I just learned so much. But uh, the Lord just used that time to affirm more and more. I remember my mother, she said, why are you going to school to learn about the Bible? Won't you just read it? And uh That's a good reformed answer in some ways. <laughs> and uh, you know, I didn't have a good response. Uh she wanted me to go to get my MBA instead of a master's of divinity. And so your
1: undergraduate degree was in business, right? Yes. Uh, and finance. you were in banking at the time. Yes.
2: Yeah. And so I didn't have a, a good answer. My spiritual mother asked me even we was she we were going to a play one time and she said, Why are you going to school? What are you gonna do after you do that? And uh, I was just like, oh, I'm going to go back into the corporate world and, and work. And lo and behold, God used that time to lead me to Memphis, Tennessee. And that's where uh, I just grew in my understanding of pastoral ministry and what that looked like. And just was honestly privileged and honored. I don't, I don't feel entitled to be a pastor. I feel very honored, honored and blessed to have been a pastor and serve in that capacity. And so... All of that time leading up to this, same thing, walking by faith to some degree, to trust in God that he will continue to provide, but then I want to serve his church, and I want to give my life to ministry, and that's what I committed to.
1: So in a previous podcast, I had the chance to have a conversation with one of our dear co-workers, and the three of us work very closely together, you, me, and Jerry, I am Yuri, and uh, Jerry, of course, was an attorney and a pastor in one, but you've got this kind of business background, in an acumen, and a pastor coming together. And, and it's interesting that, you know, the Lord obviously knows these things way ahead of time in terms of his planning out, you know, we, we plan our ways, but he directs our steps. And he's been directing your steps toward this new role where you are serving the denomination as a chief collaborative officer. So, I mean, this is basically, you know, we've got a, a chief financial officer in Pat Coelho. We've got okay. a, a chief governance officer in Jerry Iamiri, a chief executive officer in me, but a chief collaborative officer. That's a new C-level kind of position um, that we haven't had before and a lot of people aren't familiar with. But it does take some of this skill set that God has given you from these different places in your life and then I think it also takes the way God's made you mm-hmm. and just wired you, because you are by default a collaborative person. It's just kind of the way I've watched your brain mm-hmm. work. So talk to us practically about what that means. If if someone were to tune in today and saying, the only reason I'm listening is because I've heard we've hired a chief collaborative officer. I have no idea what that means. So give people kind of the one hundred and one yeah. of what is a CCO.
2: Chief collaborative officer it was was new to me when uh, when. Dean, when you actually presented it to me. And so I began to do my research after you talked about um, NGOs using it now today. And some people have chief innovative, innovative officers. Some have chief strategy officers. But the idea of the collaborative officers to you use, use its, um, giftings and knowledge to um, bring together various different departments. And since working with the a church denomination, uh, we would say presbyteries, and even using the mission and vision and our strategic priorities to work collaboratively amongst uh, one another. To put it very much biblically, I think that um, when Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.11, the God has gifted uh, many evangelists apostles shepherds prophets etc to do something and that is to build up the church he's equipped them to build up the church and my job is the chief collaborative officer in the large perspective is to build up the church to use all of those gifts to use all of those individuals around us to learn from one another in order to continue to build up the church it is um, not working in silos but continuously learning and growing from one another another understanding one another's context and using them differently here in the oga office i've met with a lot of our staff and one thing that they said is how uh, we'd like to be utilized as a resource we have so many resources here my job is to figure out how the listeners in our denomination can use the resource here in a collaborative sense Um, even team building building culture much of that is in the realm of being the chief collaborative officer
1: So, for example, one of the conversations we've had in this podcast earlier was with our uh, Director of Communications and Digital Strategies, Brian Smith. And Brian has this heart for wanting to serve not only the Office of the General Assembly, but our churches and our presbyteries. Mm -hmm. And so he's able to act as a resource to them taking some best practices that right. either he has discovered or he's discovered elsewhere and sharing those out and helping other people to do that. And Pat Coelho, who's our chief financial officer, he does the same kind of things. He he helps find, find best practices in terms of those things and sharing them out. So you're paying attention to that across our staff. You're paying attention to that across our presbyteries, uh, churches, Anytime you see something like that, tear down the silo, leverage best practices, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, as the EPC as a whole, because the, the chief collaborative officer is this kind of more external, outward looking mm-hmm. role. We used to have a chief operations officer, which was kind of an inward role, yeah. the operations of the office itself. But we uh, this role is much more outward facing. We have four strategic priorities, which as the chief collaborative officer, you're now, Given oversight over those four priorities, now very practically one of those, which is a global movement, helps works with Gabe DeGia. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked with him previously. He's World Outreach Executive Director. Effective Biblical Leadership—that's Jerry. I'm Yuri. He gives leadership to that. So, but but you are particularly keeping an eye on and helping to work collaboratively with the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've got global movement, we've got effective biblical leadership. What are the other two, and how are you working collaboratively with those groups?
2: Church planning and um, church health, or transformation and multiplication is what we've also heard those. In. Yeah,
1: sometimes we use multiplication, but that's really church planning. Yeah. And then we use transformation, and that's really church health. So, right. you know, we, we maybe need to be, uh, a, you know, more simplified perhaps, and just calling it what it is. But we're really talking about church planning and we're really talking about church health.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so just recently am um, talking to each of those who are over those strategic priorities, how uh, we can reimagine working together collectively to make sure that those strategic priorities are fleshed out. You think about world, um, world outreach or global movement in the context of uh, church planning. There are so many um, individuals who have refugees who've moved from uh, their native land to, uh, to America. And in one sense, it'd be beautiful for them just to join a EPC church that is right around the corner for them. But there's also another idea in which we have um, domestic missionaries who are here. When I met with that World Outreach Team movement, we talked and when I talked with the church planning team, the idea of what if we have missionaries who are domestic to plant churches in areas where refugees are?
1: So um, very practically, uh, you've got a whole large wave of Afghan refugees exactly. that are coming here to the United States and a good number, maybe even settling eventually in the Bay area. Right. And we have a few churches in that area. Yeah. Uh, so why not have a church for the Afghans, especially as they first arrive here exactly. to be able to worship in their own, uh, language and to be able to have people from their own culture so that they can feel welcomed, to extend a kind of biblical hospitality. Exactly. And, um, so I love that idea. So part of your job is to say, hey, World Outreach folks, you do church planning. And, and over here, church planning folks, you do church. Like, let's get you guys together in the and room and right. figure out how to meet this need. And
2: I'm sitting here talking to the World Outreach Management Team, and they're saying, wait a minute. That's something we haven't done. We, haven't, we have hmm. not sat down with Tom Ricks and the National Church Planning Team and thought about this over time. And this is probably something we probably need to be thinking about in a new way in which we think about missions um, domestically.
1: So there in a nutshell, folks, is the purpose of why we have a chief collaborative officer. So you're already getting after it, which I love. Now, there's one particular kind of initiative, and it's interesting because if you go into the EPC's founding documents, like Mm -hmm. from the back in the day, right, everything that we're about, the number one thing we're supposed to do, and it's the first part of our name, (laughs) right, Mm -hmm. it crosses like all four of those strategic priorities Absolutely. and you're looking for ways to collaborate together on that which may be the most significant initiative of all Absolutely. and that's around what
2: evangelism evangelism uh with what we understand and in seen, you know building uh, planting new churches revitalizing churches doing work through global movement um, a lot of that is wrapped up in evangelism. And the aspect of effective biblical leadership is the discipleship tool in order to, to do evangelism effectively and learning and learning and creating the environment and the culture. But every context is different. Every presbytery is different. The way we do evangelism in Memphis uh, would probably be very different than the way someone would do evangelism, in in the Middle East or in Jakarta, or just in Texas, but the because Texas thinks it's his own nation. That's all thing. <laughs> that's,
1: that's a different podcast. <laughs> but to your point, like if you were going to plant a church for Afghans in the Bay Area of California versus planting a church in the inner city of Memphis or planting right. a church, even in uh, for uh, Kurdish people in Germany or something right. like that, and they're
2: all different, all different, and. We need an approach in terms of evangelism where it's far more accessible, but it's a part of the discipleship mechanism that we have in our Sunday school classes, in our churches, the way we think about it. Because a lot of our churches oftentimes will grow, not necessarily because we're, we are merely evangelizing the next individual it's because of networking it's because of i was a young adult pastor and i my i never had a problem with my my young adults growing right and i one day i paid attention because it was so many new people coming in i was like oh my goodness you know I've, i may be doing an amazing job as a pastor you know i've yet to hit the streets and 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 evangelize but people are coming um but the idea was uh, those relationships that were built in college Um, When people were moving to Memphis and looking for a church, it was easy for them to connect with someone that they went to from Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Vanderbilt or Memphis and say, Hey, their thing was, Hey, won't you come to come to our church? But we're coming to a new day and age where a lot of people, they're having a lack of trust in the church. And it's not necessarily the power of God that they're struggling with. It is, it is the church and the environment that it creates. And so some people are looking for more small and, um, intimate environments to where they can maybe grow or they're looking for it outside of the church. And so I think what evangelism will do in every area that we have is give us a multifaceted approach that will actually work um, more effectively for people who some pastor would admit like, Hey, I'm not gifted, but it's not about being gifted because what I've learned over time, it's about feeling confident in sharing the gospel But then also feeling confident in the fact that, you know, we live in a society where hopelessness runs rampant, right? Uh, rejection nihilism it runs rampant but we have something that is the greatest hope and being able to have a tool Bob Stoffers talk about having a tool and uh, global outreach has talked about World outreach has talked about having a tool having those tools that are accessible for um, for our churches and our ministry leaders I think will be um, extremely effective.
1: So if we go across the board right and you say an effective biblical leader is a person who is able to communicate the gospel well. You would say uh, global outreach and the work that we do in terms of our global reach at the very forefront of that is evangelism, contextualizing yep. evangelism. Right. If you look at church health, a healthy church is a reproducing church Amen. and it has to be an environment where people are not only hearing the gospel, singing the gospel, but sharing the yep. gospel. And what way could a church plant ever possibly hope to grow (laughs) unless it was actually doing evangelism so evangelism really does form a foundational kind of great commission foundation for all four of our strategic priorities and what you're saying is that the at the bottom of each of those four priorities is evangelism but what's really uh, foundational for evangelism is relationship. Mm-hmm. So whether you're a church planner or you're a global worker or you're just a, an effective biblical leader at your, your work environment, yeah. having a relationship with that person that yeah. you hope to share the gospel with is kind of foundational to having the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's kind of putting the evangelical back in evangelical Presbyterian church because, you know, right. we have to be um, humble enough to admit that we've not been Doing that, we've right. not been sharing that good news, and uh, part of it is, you know, we just haven't felt like we 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 maybe even know how to do that, mm-hmm. and people feel intimidated by that. And so, hopefully, on a future podcast in the near future, a couple that we might have coming up, we're looking to have uh, Bob Stauffer, and you mentioned him a minute ago, and Bob is our now national director of church health um and he's got a training coming up it's at the presbytery of the Alleghenies yes. that's going to be on evangelism training and it's kind of a conversational sort of approach right. and we're hoping if that um goes well that we could replicate that for other presbyteries that would want to do similar training
2: absolutely yeah and that and that's what we mean by or yeah that's what i mean by the the idea of discipleship teaching this Regularly and making sure that, as you've mentioned, our reach is not necessarily the churches, our reach is the presbyteries. So if we can do evangelism training in our presbyteries and allow this to then flow down to our churches to where they can take it in and begin to replicate it. I think that it'd be terrific. I think it'd, it'd affect uh, a lot of what we do.
1: So, for those of you who have never heard me say this before, I, I, I've been saying to our staff here at the Office of the General Assembly, and if you ever hear us refer to OGA, that's what that is Office of the General Assembly. I've been sharing with people that the reach of the OGA is not that far. That is to say, we cannot reach to a local congregation. Because if we do, typically local congregations kind of suspiciously look back at us and say, you're, you're overreaching. What are you doing getting into our business? Now, if a local church reaches out to us, uh, we can always uh, respond to that, and, uh, and we will, and we've got great people who do, who exist to serve the local church. But when we reach out, our, the length of our reach actually reaches well to the presbyteries. So if we're helping to resource and equip the presbyteries, then the presbyteries who are more contextual, more regional, they're able to help and equip their congregations in their context, which, which is going to be much more uh, suited to them. Absolutely. So, Michael, anything else that you want to share with our audience before we leave today, just an encouragement for them? Uh, anything, I mean, you've been on the job in the EPC now just since, what, the start of August. Yes. Um, so still relatively new. Uh, you've been in the EPC a while, but in this spot kind of new. Uh, any observations that you've seen, uh, encouragements that you have or, or challenges you want, want to put out uh, to our folks as we conclude today?
2: What I've been encouraged by is I've been in, my presbytery which is central south uh and i know and been involved there what i'm doing when i'm there now i've been able to learn and get to know a lot of uh, the committee people who are serving a lot of what we do here and so part of it is just as just as the listeners are listening in i've been able to listen and learn a lot over these last couple months if i were to do anything if i'm in your shoes and you're listening I would, I would inquire more as to who's in the Office of General Assembly and get to know uh, the staff that's here and uh, ask questions. Uh, there's a lot that is here that uh, we want to be able to be that, as I think Jerry and Dean would say, just be that phone call away um, where you press the button and you, you can talk to someone that is here to understand what they do. We had the next generation leaders come here for the summit, And the staff here served them lunch. And it was an incredible blessing because a lot of those uh, young adult, youth, and children workers went back knowing that they're actually human beings working in the office and not robots. No, that's a joke. But
1: There's been a rumor out there. (laughs) There's the EPC robot Facebook page that people have been. Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh,
2: But they were very encouraged to get to know our staff here and understand what we do, and it put perspective as to what they're involved in, not only in their silos, and that's the collaborative work, right?
1: So the beautiful of a long-form podcast is that I can go there, because you opened the door to something. I want to go there real briefly before we right. close. So Let's I know I said we were going to close, but I'm going to push this off just a little bit. You talked about the Next Generation Summit that was here, and that's a, that's a great point to maybe help educate some of our folks who are listening today what is Next Generation Ministries? And for those of you who are listening, of course, this is not a video podcast because, uh, well, there's obvious reasons. I'm the host, so we don't want to go there. Um, you know, I've got a face. For, I've got a face for radio, um, but if you were able to watch, you would see that Michael, our. Um, our chief collaborative officer is though mature in faith and wisdom. (laughs) He is a young man um, and uh, he is a young man. And so uh, (laughs) you're now giving leadership to this next generation team. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would, because people are listening in want to know what does next
2: generation mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I've had the privilege of uh, serving on that committee and before uh, coming on staff here and what it's, what next generation means is it's looking at those who are serving. So, you know, you can be 60 years old, but serving the next generation, building and discipling and equipping them to serve our church, uh, not necessarily only looking at um, age. I remember uh, one pastor said to me one time when I had a difficult situation, it was an older marriage that was uh, in crisis and I said, Hey, uh, I don't think I am uh, equipped to, 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 to reconcile this situation. And he looked at me and he said, actually you are, I'm not despising you because of your youth. Mm. Uh, this was a few years back and I said to myself, wow, there's a lot of trust. And but then also it, it allowed me to learn and grow in, uh, in wisdom and understanding, Those workers in this committee had brought a lot of those individuals who are doing work to the next generation, and some of them may be a part of the next generation to some degree. Uh, They are discipling, dealing with some of the ethical and hard issues that are on the horizon for us. And what we were able to do is come together, encourage them, learn from what each of them and doing everywhere from the west coast to the east coast people were coming all over to be refreshed and renewed to be equipped and learn what it means to serve those who are in your high schools your middle schools your elementary who are the ones that are going to be leading in our churches uh who are going to be the ones that are going to be the next pastors uh, the next uh, ministry leaders the next doctors politicians etc how do we equip them and what the next generation committee does it doesn't just look at curriculum it doesn't just merely put on a uh, a summit but it actually says we want to build networks in our presbyteries in order to build a think tank to find best practices across everything we do to continue to disciple those who will be leading in the next few years.
1: And I think uh, increasing space for those people to start leading now. And I, I, that's probably a great pause button. We can come back maybe in a future podcast and talk more about that kind of networking and how that can happen. But I tell you, I was really encouraged just in being able to, and I had to be it's one of those times where I had to be two places at the same time. So mm-hmm. I zoomed into your summit meeting mm-hmm. uh, to bring yeah. greetings, which you guys were gracious to allow me to do. But I was impressed because I looked and therefore I beheld <laughs> a next generation <laughs> summit that looked more like revelation seven, nine than maybe mm-hmm. what we have seen in years past. And I think there's space there. Yeah. Um, I think this next generation realizes there's space opening up for leadership of people from all backgrounds yes. uh, that maybe haven't always been there before. And by being just a little more intentional about that. Um, we're seeing people coming who are really are desirous to be part of the EPC family and have gifts and leadership and want to step up and, and exercise those gifts. And we're all going to be blessed by it.
2: Amen. And, and for those that are listening and you're thinking to yourself, I, we don't have people of the next generation in our church or how do I connect? I, I, wanna, I really want to encourage you to, to get to know someone that's young. Just that's younger than you. You can be 18, but still get to know someone that is 13, 10, 7. That's where it starts, because the more that we begin to build up and disciple one another, care for one another, the stronger the church will be. If we only leave roles of leadership off to a certain age, to a certain limit, uh, which I don't think that we've done in EBC having this committee. What happens is we lose out on what God has gifted us with. In the next generation,
1: yeah, it's one of the five points of resilient leadership that David Kimman points out in his book uh, Faith for Exiles yeah. for resilient disciples going forward in the next generation, intergenerational discipleship. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of the big ones, and there's such a, a, a transfer uh, that needs to occur of wisdom and yes. experience. And the interesting thing is, next generation leaders are hungry for it, hungry. And yes. so, and, it, and the blessing goes both ways, right? Mm-hmm. If you're the younger person, you get blessed by having that relationship and that wealth of Wisdom passed down to you. But if you're the older person, you will find a gift of innovation and energy and relationship that comes back and gives you life as well. And everybody benefits whenever Mm -hmm. we do that. So, as I have benefited from uh, our friendship and growing working relationship, and I'm deeply blessed by that. And EPC is going to be blessed as they get to know you. Uh, For those of you who would be interested in having Michael come out, whether it's to your Presbytery or your church, uh, whether it's to preach or just help you think through some collaborative things so that some of these strategic priorities, best practices, evangelism, those things can be leveraged to your advantage, your church. Please reach out to Michael, and uh, he would love to be able to serve you. That's his Absolutely. heart. All right, Absolutely. brother. Thank you for your time with us today. I'm going to close with these words, as I often do, turning our hearts back to the one who has uh, recreated our hearts. Amen. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And sometimes collaborative efforts are invisible until God makes them visible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. So be blessed, my friends. Until the next time, go in peace.
0: Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.